Morning, everyone. How's it going? That's good. Uh, yeah, up high. I like it up high. Thanks. That's it. Good. All right, we're going to. Um, oh, I, close. I feel close. Too close there. <laughs> we're going to um, finish um, today the series that we've been doing in Philippians. So, so we're reading from Philippians chapter four. And um, Lyndon, Lyndon did the last one on chapter 3, and then he finished on verse 1, on chapter 4, verse 1, because, he, like he explained, the chapters aren't, were done very messily, hundreds of years ago, divided up, um, and, and they don't show the logical breaks in, in Paul's lines of thought. So we're starting with um, Philippians 4, verses 2, and it says this, I plead with Judea, and I plead with Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of the life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whether it is whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. All right, we're going to stop there. The, the last few remarks in the chapter are his final colluding um, comments that he, that he has to make. And we're going to struggle to get through all that anyway. So, All right, now just, just remember, right at the beginning when we started Philippians, we, we said that there was, you know, the context to hear, hear it in was, um, you know, Caesar uh, had conquered the world, basically. He'd brought peace to, to the world. Uh, Philippi was a, was a city that, that um, had, had a lot of conflict within it and a lot of um, some of the major fights going on were in Philippi and um, it becomes a, a place of peace. And this was the good news. This was the gospel that the people were, were, were saying. You know, Caesar is Lord. Yahoo! We, we can celebrate. We can have, and they had festivals and all sorts of occasions going on. And it was this festive time. And, and people were going, you know, it's such a privilege to be a citizen of Rome. And, and um, Paul is saying, hey, Caesar's not Lord. Jesus is Lord. This is the good news. Jesus is the one that brings peace, not Caesar. His name is the name above every name. It's not Caesar's name. And he said, we can celebrate because you know, our citizenship is in heaven. And it's not about, it's not about Rome. And so his basic message throughout the whole book has been this. That, that no matter what situation you find yourself, no matter what happened or was happening in your life, conduct yourself in a manner that's fitting to this good news. 
And, and he gives instructions on how to do that and what that might look like. Um, so we, 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 come to, we come to how this passage here, and, and this whole passage is connected. So, you know, it's not like he's telling Utica and Seneca to sort it out, and it's about conflict resolution, and then all the rest of the little things are just little nice little comments that he says on how to behave. This is all about how Paul's, Paul's if you like, Paul's message on conflict resolution and how to live a life worthy of the gospel. You know, there, there, there's conflict, we can't get away from it. If you've got a pulse, <laughs> you'll have experienced conflict in your life. Um, I don't know about you, but your background bring, being brought up, for mine, it was conflict was seen as a bad thing. And, and in my family, we didn't have conflict. You know, it was something frowned upon, and, and um, it wasn't a healthy response. Conflict's, conflict's not bad. It's how we respond to conflict that's important. And we can respond in you know, the negative ways of responding to conflict. And in our family, it was flight. You know, you, you, you didn't talk about it or, or you, you, know, you just it didn't exist. And if you don't spoke, speak about it and if you ignore it, well, then it just goes away. You know? But we know it doesn't go away. And the, the other, at the other end, the other unhealthy response is, is flight. Some people, you know, get aggro and they want to fight. And I think this was what Utica and Syndicate are doing. They're fighting. And, and they've got this conflict going on in their lives and they're fighting it out amongst themselves. Um, and there's, there's this area in the middle which is the healthy way to respond to conflict. And it's this work it out. And, you know, where, where there's people, there's poo. It's, it's life, life gets messy. You know, and miscommunication happens so easily. I was just reading a story that the other day about this um, this guy. He said to his friend, "Can can you bring? I'm having a meeting at my place. You know, and I need some extra chairs. Can you bring the chairs? Some extra chairs along." So this guy says, "Yeah, yeah, no problem." And then the day of the meeting comes, and he had a busy day, and he rocks up to the meeting, and then he went, "Oh, I forgot the chairs." And he went in and told the guy, "Listen, I'm so sorry, but I forgot the chairs." And the guy just looked at him and says, oh, that figures, and walked off. And um, he, he's, he got upset about it. And he goes, what, what does he mean, that figures? And he would think about it. Does, does, it, does he mean that, um, you know, like, I can't be trusted? Or, you know, like, like I'm, I'm hopeless, I'm no good? And, and, and the more he thought about it over the time, the, the, the more um, upset he became. And then finally he says, listen, I've got to go and, go and talk to this guy. So he went to see him, and he says, yeah, what, what did you mean when you said that figures? And the guy says, oh, he says, I just had a shocking day. He says, everything in my day wasn't going, nothing was going right at all. Um, and he says, like, it was just, it made sense that, of course you'd forget the chairs, because that's just what my day is like. And it was nothing about the guy at all. And so just, just the fact that he was able to talk about it and communicate brought that resolution. But how, how easy it is. It is, it is for us to you know, go down a, a track like that and then end up in broken relationships in our lives um, over sometimes nothing. Uh, I, I remember another story about another guy and uh, he used to go out on trips um, and be away from home for long periods of time, but every time he came back, he brought his wife something, a gift. And this time he came back from his trip, he'd been overseas and he'd brought this lovely dress. 
and he gave it to his wife. So his wife was all excited, and she went upstairs, and she changed into her dress, and she came down wearing a dress, and she says, how do I look? And, and what he was thinking was, wow, you couldn't, you know, you, 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 you're beautiful. Um, he, he said um, this, let me, let me get it right. He said, um, you couldn't, uh, he meant to say, you couldn't look any better. Right? You couldn't look any better. But what he said was, you look as good as you can. <laughs> now, effectively, that means the same thing, right? For a guy, well, you look as good as you can. You, you, know, you couldn't look any better. It's the same thing. But for her, she was hearing something totally different. It's like, what do you mean I look as good as I can? <laughs> and, and, you know, the conflict happens, and it's just these little, little things. And even, even this week, I was just reading the news, and, and there's this conflict happening against um, New Zealand Rugby Union and, and the Players Association. And they're in conflict about, you know, raising money and, um, yeah, they the go to the team. And, and Steve, um, their the former All Black coach, Sir Steve uh, Hansen, he weighs in on it, and he says he hates seeing them throwing mud at each other in public. And he says, if, if they've got a squabble, why don't they do it in the boardroom, not in front of Kiwi fans? And, and he says he wasn't, he wasn't taking sides, but he said both sides have valid points. He says, get everyone into a room and actually listen to each other. Let's sort it out, he said. They've got to be better than what they're doing right now. And I think this is what Paul is saying. He's, say, he's, he's saying, I beseech you, Eudiki. Hey, Eudiki, hey, Syntyche, work it out. Come on, you've got to be better than this. This is not what it looks like to live life in the kingdom. Uh, these women were, were I, 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 would, I would expect them to be very prominent women in the church. Um, and I expect their dispute to be very public because he names them in a public letter. And I don't think he would have done that if, if they were you know, not, not important and, and this, there was something hidden under the thing. This was something public that was, that was very prominent. And he goes on, he says to them, listen, I want you to be of the same mind in the Lord. I want you to agree in the Lord. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be of the same line? Does it mean to have one opinion? Does it, does it mean that someone's right and someone's wrong, or, and, and, and you've got to work out what, who's right and who's wrong, and then you've both got to agree on the right thing? Is, is that what Paul is saying? Is he talking about uniformity? Or is he talking about unity? Um. And as I've been thinking about these things and, and, and doing some research on it, I, I found out um, just two weeks ago um, something I never knew. You know, I always thought you know, the early church sort of had more like the purest form of Christianity. And then as time goes on, more, more and more people come with different ideas and different viewpoints, and you get more and more diversity. And over time, you got, you know, to where we are today with, with all sorts of ideas of ways of Christian practice and Christian beliefs and 
And, and, and yet I found out actually the first 150 years in the early church history was more diverse than it is today. And it was only, only after one prominent group of Christians starts to take control and then puts one man in charge of the whole church and then quietens and, and, and wipes out the other voices, do you have this sort of form of unity? But is that really unity? You know, even, even among, you read through the scriptures and even amongst apostles themselves, they had very, various and different viewpoints on how things um, are to be done. In, in the 1500s, a little bit of a history, church history lesson here, um, John Calvin, he, um, he was a Protestant reformer, and he flees uh, France, which is his hometown, in fear of his life because the Roman Catholic Church were, were after him, and if they got him, they would, have, they would have killed him. And he ends up in a place, a city in, in Switzerland, Geneva. And he begins his Reformation works in, in Geneva. And um, later on, John Knox says this about Geneva. He says, this is the most perfect school of Christ that was ever in the earth since the days of the apostles. In other places, I confess Christ to be truly preached, but manners and religions to be so seriously reformed I've not yet seen in many places besides. So he gives us high praise about what's happening in Geneva. But you know what was happening in Geneva? It was a totalitarian reign. Well, how do you say it, Rach? Totalitarian, yeah. No, I'm sorry, I'm dyslexic. I'm not very good at words. Um, so, so there was a kind of religious police that, that governed the city. And they could go into anyone's houses at any time to ascertain, are you behaving according to Calvin's ordinances? Um, certain things were forbidden. Anything a Roman Catholic was forbidden. It becomes illegal to name your children after saints. Art, music with instruments, dancing, theatre. Not allowed, sorry. Colours of clothing, your hairstyles, the amount of food that was permissible at the table was regulated. Gambling, drunkenness, adultery, promiscuity, immodest dress, profane songs, idolatry, heresy, speaking ill of the clergy were all punished, often by exile, but also often by execution. You're taken out and burnt at the stake. And one... Um, one Christian man, I forget his name, Stephanus or something like that, um, who, who, who lived in, in France and he was travelling around and he was travelling back to his home in France and he decided to pass through Geneva. Now, he didn't quite believe or, or agree with everything Calvin had. He was, he, was a, he was a devout Christian man, but he had a different belief on the Trinity. And he got to Geneva, he was arrested, and they burnt him at the stake. And not only did they, they used wet wood, so they could prolong his suffering. Now, now I'm, I'm reading this and I'm going, does this, does this sound like Jesus? You know, what, what, what is this? What cost 
Is it to bring unity and uniformity? Is this what Paul's talking about? I don't believe. You know, he's already said in Philippians 2, he says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Again, the same sort of word. Being of the same mind. And he, he, he says this, he actually qualifies it. He says, having the same love. Being of one accord, of one mind. Don't let anything be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Don't look on your own interests, but also on the interests of others. He's talking about humility and love. And this is what he's saying to these women. He's saying, he's saying, hey, your attitude should be one of humility and love. Respect one another. Love one another. This is how he's saying the Christian community should respond. This is what it means to reflect the good news. And then he goes on and he says, the very next thing he says, he says, rejoice in the Lord. And I'll say it again, rejoice. So now, um, I, I believe he's saying more than just be happy. Um, in, in, this, in the world, in the culture, we've already said that that, um, that word rejoice can also mean celebrate. Celebrate. And, he, and, and, and within that culture, when all these festivals and celebrations were going on, what he's saying is, hey, as Christians, we should celebrate the Lord. And what, when we do that, when we start to celebrate it, uh, that, that, that God is on the throne, that, that Jesus is Lord, what it does, it, it strengthens our loyalty to him and it brings us back to a common goal and common interests. And, and so I think this is what um, Paul's saying here. Bring your conflict back to a common bond. Celebrate. Celebrate the Lord always. I'll say it again. Celebrate. Then let your gentleness be evident to all. That word gentleness is, is the idea of moderation or meekness under provocation. Readiness to forgive injuries. Equity in the management of your affairs. Having candor in, in the light of judging characters and actions of others. In other words, um, guard your passions and be a person of sweet disposition. Let that be evidence to all. And so for Utica and Syntyche to work out their differences, they were to have to develop this forbearing spirit. And that means an attitude even of contentment with the state that you're in, even when you've been treated unjustly. So, so intense relational disputes, um, you know, it's so easy to, to demand um, your way and, and to feel like you've been disrespected by the other party. But, but a patient spirit realizes the worth of the other person and it causes, um, it causes you to be able to go through personal insult. So this, this humble, this gentle spirit is what I believe Paul is talking about. And then he says this, the Lord is near. And I love this. 
the Lord is near. Now, it's been interpreted, if you look through um, a lot of the commentaries in, in a couple of different ways, in, in, in a temporal sense and in a spatial sense. So in a temporal sense, um, it's been interpreted the Lord is near, he's coming again soon. But I don't think Paul's talking about that at all. I thought he's talking about a spatial sense here, and most commentators would agree. Um, he, he's not only saying to Utica and Syndicate to work out your differences, he's saying, he's saying, do that in the presence of the Lord. Um, I read one interpretation, and, he, and, the, and this guy says, Paul is reminding these women that God is watching their conduct and behavior towards one another. Now, I don't agree with this. I used to. I actually spoke on this many years ago, and um, I used this illustration that, that um, when I was in school, um, we'd be in the classroom, and this was before the period starts, and, and there was chaos in the classroom. And we'd have kids at the back, and they're fighting, and people throwing rubbers around the room, and there'd be little paper airplanes going everywhere, and we always had someone out by the door of the thing, watching down the hallway. And then this, this, was this, this noise was just erupting in, in, in the classroom. And then someone, she would, they'd look out and say, teacher's coming. And then boom, everyone's sitting at their desk, sitting nice and quiet, attention. You know, and it's just like, boo. And the fact that you know, the, the teacher was near impacted the behavior of the kids. But, but that's a negative Response and, and I don't I don't see God like that anymore. I, I don't I don't think of it and, and I'm trying to I was trying to think of how to explain that the illustration. Now um, I do ocean swimming and um, sometimes that sees sees me one or two k's out in the ocean. Um, and and normally I'm swimming with Rachel or Sheldon and and and, and that's good. But when I'm out there by myself, you know. I get this anxious feeling. I'm alone in the ocean, in the middle of nowhere, and, and like I start thinking, oh, are there any boats coming? You know, like they might not see me. I get, might get knocked by a boat, and then, or I might get cramp, and if I get cramp, you know, like I'm in trouble, or, or yeah, and all these thoughts, like you know, there there's sharks in the water, and and your mind sometimes goes there, and and you get this anxiety built up. But, but when, um, when you're swimming with someone else, it just goes. It's like, it's like I've got somewhere. You know, you know, probably, the, you know, like, you know, if um, Rachel is there in the water with me, it, it eases my thing. Not, not because I've got 50% less chance of being eaten by a shark. <laughs> or because my chance is even better if I can swim faster than her. <laughs> It's not like that at all. Maybe the better illustration would be maybe if I had Steve Hathaway with me, who, who, who lives in the water. He knows all the, all the, all the, the fish. And, you know, like, and then you're out swimming with him. You feel confident, don't you? You, know, you, you, can, you can have this, you're a lot more relaxed. Steve's near. Phew, it's going to be okay. You know, and it's that, that sense, the Lord is near. His presence He's here. He's in us. 
He's involved in everything going on round about us. Um, you know, the, the, the pagan, the cultures round about Paul, they, they, they believed their gods didn't involve themselves in trivial affairs of men. You know, they, they, were, they were too high and too distant to deal with men. Uh, um, and Paul's saying this, not, not our God, not your God. Our God is so near. He's so near. And that should bring comfort. That should take away our anxieties. That eases our worries. And that brings us on to the next verse. And, and Paul says this, So be anxious for nothing. Don't worry. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything... By prayer and supplication, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. I've got to move. Um, so, so, so what, what does it mean? Be, so be anxious for nothing. You know, there's a guy called John. He was a constant warrior. He always had this worried expression on his face. And um, then one day his friend saw him walking down the road with his beaming smile across his face and not a worry in the world. And he says, what's going on, John? And he says, well, you know how I used to worry about everything? Um, he says, well, I've employed a guy now to do my worrying for me. <laughs> his friend says, well, that's cool. What a great idea. He says, well, what's that costing you? John looked at him and says, oh, $1,000 a week. And the guy went, what? $1,000 a week? How on earth can you afford that? And John just smiled and says, oh, that's his worry. <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's a sense, though, that, that you know, when, we, when we take our anxieties and we take our worries and we give them to God, we do, we do that through prayer. And it's, it's, the, it's the, that attitude of just, here you go. I'm laying this down. And then with thanksgiving, what thanksgiving does is, is it makes us be thankful. We think of all the good things that we have in life. You know, and it changes our perspective. It changes what we're thinking about. From rather focusing on the negative going in, on in our lives, we start to focus on the, on the positives. And that can make the world a difference. Um, um, to, to what's happening. And then, and then he says, when we do that, the peace of God will garrison. And remember, this is Philippi, a, a, a Roman colony with retired Roman soldiers and with garrisons of guards around the city. Um, yeah, they know what, these, you know what this means, what this looks like. Peace. Roman guards are there. Nothing's going to happen. And Paul's saying, listen, this is what God does. He comes and he guarantees your mind and your heart. He brings you peace. And listen, it's in the midst of the conflict, in the midst of the trouble. And I loved what um, Sandra shared and, um, and, you know, and Alan last week. And if you haven't, weren't here, go and listen to it online. It was great. Um, and... and and she said that you know, when they were praying for Ellen, all the things they asked prayer for, God didn't answer any of them. 
But, she went on to say, but we had such peace. Such peace. And this is what he promises us, this, this peace. This, and it's past his understanding. I've had a couple of times in my life where things have gone wrong. I had a motorcycle accident, smashed my leg up real bad, lying there, knowing that I was in a bad state. But then just, it just felt like God's presence came. And I was just peace. And you just know God's, God's here. It's okay. You know, my leg's not okay. It's still not okay. <laughs> but there was a real peace about it. And same when my father passed away and I had to speak at the funeral. And it's like you get up. And then at the moment when you need to get up and speak, it just felt the presence of God. And you, you're able to get up and say what you need to say. And it's just this, he's with me. God is near. God is near. And his peace is there for us. And then he says, so finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely, admirable, think on these things. Focus on where you want to go, not what you're afraid of. Focus on where you want to go. Um, I... I did with Sheldon a, a mountain bike, the toughest mountain bike course in Australasia. Uh, 100 kilometres of single track, 4,000 metres of climbing. And um, second, second toughest course in the world. And I was afraid. I would never done it. This is the very first time. We've done it twice now. But the very first time we did it, I attempted it, we hadn't trained properly. And I was afraid. And my bike schools weren't that great. And all around the course, I'd, I'd come to a, a hill, and I was coming down a hill, and then there's this big tree stump chopped off about this high, just off the track, just lower than the track. And I'm coming down, and I'm focusing on the tree stump. I'm going, listen, I don't want to hit that tree stump. I, you know, stay on the track. And I'm looking at the tree stump. Next minute, my bike's on the tree stump. And then I'm off the edge of the tree stump and flipping down the hill. And, like, and I did it four times on the thing. And, and I got halfway round, and I gave up. I says, I don't want to kill myself. And I learned from there, I learned, focus on where you want to go. Don't look at those things. Look at the track. Look at where you want to go around the corners. And then two years later, I did it again. It was a breeze. And I was like, why was this so hard? If you focus on where you want to go, and it applies to all of life, don't focus on the bad things. Focus on the good things. I'll finish, with, I'll finish with this last thing. Um, nothing to do with Philippines, but to do with Laodicea. So um, the church in Laodicea, he, um, they're writing to it, and, and the, you know the little verse where, where it says, I wish that you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I want to spit you out of my mouth. Now Laodicea um, was a town that doesn't have a water supply, um, in Turkey, and 10 kilometres from, from Laodicea, there's a, a, a place where there's um, thermal activity and um, actually very, very beautiful. Um, so like, if you can imagine what the white terraces might have been like, the pink and white terraces at Tarawera, very similar to like that terrace coming down with the, with the white silicon over it and hot pools. Um, and people go there now, soak in the pools, and it's just, it just looks, a, it's a beautiful place. Well, Laodicea had aqueducts that took 
the water, the, the, the hot boiling water from this place and transported it 10 k's into the city. And when it got into the city, um, it was lukewarm water and it was also, you couldn't drink it. Uh, uh, I suppose all the minerals in the water made it, made it undrinkable. It was horrible to taste. So if you drank it, you spat it out. Um, and so Paul is, uh, not Paul, John, uh, you know, what, what the, what's been said to the church there is, I wish you were hot or cold. Now, now it's not saying be a hot on fire Christian or be a cold Christian. It's, it's saying be refreshing. A hot drink is refreshing. A cold drink is refreshing. But a lukewarm one from, from the springs was undrinkable. And, and it's been saying don't be like that as people. Be refreshing. You know, there's nothing, nothing better in the morning than I like sitting down and having a nice hot coffee and, a, a, and a, you know, a newspaper to read. I'm in my happy place. Or after you've done a big activity or had a big day at work and you get home and you open a cold one. Or gin and tonic or, or Coke, whatever it is. You know, it's just, it's, it's, isn't it lovely? It's just refreshing. You sit there and you go, ah, calmness. Peace. I feel good. That's the message, people. That's who we are to be. People that bring refreshment, vitalization, goodness to our families, to our neighbors, to our workmates, to everyone around about us. God bless you. Let's just close in prayer. Um, morning tea on up here afterwards. Um, please help with stacking up the chairs so they can go away. Lord, we're just so grateful.